Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, if you are a Christian, if you are truly a Christian, then you ought to be, in fact you are, and you ought to live according, you ought to be significantly different than the people in the world around you. Okay, let me say that again. If you are truly a Christian, you should be significantly different than the people in the world around you. And that's because your very nature has been changed. Okay, as we talked about the Lord's Supper, you have died to sin, so inside you have a new nature that wants to live differently. And because we have the different life in us now, that affects not only just our nature, but affects how we think about things. Affects how we look at life. And how you think about things and look at life affect how you live. It affects the decisions that you make and how you live those things out. And there is a a huge difference between someone who is a Christian and how they live their life and someone who isn't. Let me say, obviously we all live a lot of the same kinds of things because we all have to get up and get ready for the day. We all, I mean, many of us have jobs we have to go to. We do that. We have families we have to provide for, cars we got to take care of. Those kinds of things are the same. But our motivations are different. How we make our decisions is different. And how we look at some really significant things in life is different. And one of those things is suffering. How the Christian views suffering is, should be, I should say, really, really different than the way the world around us views suffering, especially when we're talking about suffering because we're living like Christians. Peter has a bunch to say about that. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4, page 1394 in the Bible that's under the chairs there. And as always, we encourage you, if you don't have a Bible with you, grab one of those Bibles under the chair in front of you and follow along. It'll be helpful to you. 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, in in the beginning of chapter 4, uh, Peter is talking about, hey, you're, you're a believer. He's talking about this very difference. You're a believer. There's things that ought not to be in your life anymore. Maybe they were in life before you trusted Christ as Savior, but now you really need to look at your life. They ought not be part of your life. There's things that need to go. And so some of those things are easy for us to have them go, and some of those things are harder and takes more time and, and unraveling of the, the knot that sin has uh, pulled tight in our lives. But so he talks about that, and then he says that, listen, this is important. It's a serious, it matters. The Lord is going to return. At some point, this is all going to come to an end, and there's going to be an accounting for all these things. And so he says, serve the Lord sincerely. Use your gifts to serve him, your, your, your natural abilities or any spiritual gifts. Serve him on purpose, mightily in those things. And when we live that way, we're going to see. Peter's going to tell us what to expect. So verse number 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Beloved, 
Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed you, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, and this reproach insulted, spoken evil of, opposed, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, scarcely saved where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and that it, it's sharp and it, it pierces deep down inside of us, Lord, and makes distinctions that, that only it can make. And, and we thank you that your spirit uses the Lord. And we need to understand your word today. We need to hear from you. We need to not only understand the words that you gave us here on the page, Lord, but we need to understand what it means in our lives. And I pray that you would enable that to happen. We, we can't do that apart from you. And then, Lord, that each of us would hear from you personally where we're at, what we need to hear. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so let's go back and work our way through this. In verse number 12, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. So he's talking about suffering here, and that's what he goes on and elaborates more uh, pointedly, this idea of suffering. Don't think it's strange. Now, it's interesting. The words translated strange in both of these places, they're, they're two different forms of the same word. But when he says, do not think it's strange, it's like, he means like being surprised. Like if you're surprised, if, if, if you were at your house today and, and someone you know and, and maybe love or maybe someone you don't know at all, but shows up at your door and knocks and wants to come in and visit, whoa, you weren't expecting that, were you? <laughs> you're kind of surprised about that. And that's the word that he's using here. Don't be surprised when suffering knocks on your door when it shows up. Don't be surprised. Expect that that's going to happen. And then this, the second time when it says as though some strange thing happened to you, that word really means like a stranger, a foreigner, someone who is not normally, you wouldn't you know, know or have, you wouldn't be expecting to be there. And he's saying, no, don't have it be that way. You need to expect this to happen. You need to expect suffering to be knocking on your door. And suffering is not a pleasant thing, is it? How does he describe it? The 
fiery trial. It burns, it hurts, it's, it can grow. It's uh, all of those kinds of things. But he's saying, don't be surprised by it. This is not a strange event for you as a Christian. Okay, and this brings us to the first point that uh, we're going to look at some facts related to suffering as a Christian. The first one is this, that if we live like Christians, we will suffer because of it. We will, just the way it is. Jesus talked about this in, in his, uh, the Gospel of John when he's, he tells his disciples, he says, you know what, the world has hated me. He doesn't mean every individual in the world, but he means in general. The world that is cursed by sin, the world that doesn't know him, the world that wants to do things their own way. He says, they have hated me. And here's the deal. If they have hated me, they're going to what? Hey, you. Because you're connected to me. You belong to me. And you're living out your life for me. And therefore, there's going to be opposition. Sometimes it's very, very strong. The Apostle Paul, in his second letter to Timothy, says that everyone who desires to live a godly life, and you desire it, and so you're seeking to live that godly life, he says everybody who does that will suffer persecution. At some point, there's going to be opposition. It's going to happen. Okay? If it hasn't happened to you yet, then you've got to figure one of two things going on. You need to ask first, am I really living the way the Lord wants me to live? Right? Am I really living a godly life? Am I really living out the mission that he's given us as Christians? Because the scripture seems to be very clear that if I'm living that way, there's going to be times when suffering and persecution is going to come. Okay? And if it isn't that, if you are living that way and it hasn't just happened, then secondly, know that it will. Right? Probably has in the past, know that it will again in the future. So if we live like Christians, we will indeed suffer for it. All right, so let's, let's continue. Verse 13. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Well, before we talk about that, let me say here's the fact. The fact is this, that suffering for being a Christian is a reason for great joy. Now we think, wait a minute, wait, suffering? Sadness, right? Suffering, bummed out. Suffering, I don't like this. But the Holy Spirit through Peter here says, suffering, ah, joy. How is that? Well, it's interesting here. He says, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. And so here's a, a, a thing. Did, did Christ suffer for us? Yes. He did. That's right. He suffered on the cross for us, certainly. Um, he suffered on the cross for us and um, suffered, I, I got to think, even coming into the world. Yeah. Right? A holy God coming into a sin-cursed world and having to to deal with all the stuff that goes along with that. So he suffered for us. Uh, and he suffered because he wanted to be our savior. He suffered for us so that he could bring about the change in your life we talked about. He suffered for us so that we, for all eternity, might be able to be with him and experience the blessings of heaven and all the things that God has planned for, for that going forward in eternity. And, and so he suffered to accomplish those things. Well, if we are suffering because we are trying to do what God has given us to do, we're part of what Jesus has done, right? 
Are we part of the same mission? We're not doing our own thing. Jesus did that and we're doing this. No, no, no. We are the best we know how entering into Jesus' mission, continuing what he did, right? Working with him to accomplish those things. And so if, if I live that way and I suffer that way, I am suffering along with Christ. We are his body. We suffer together sometimes. We suffer with Christ. And so he says, to whatever extent you are suffering as a Christian, that is a reason to be joyful. Now, that's not a natural thing. And that's sort of what we talked about in the very beginning here, that if we are Christians, genuinely Christians, and we look at life as like Christians and seek to live like Christians, we are significantly different than the world around us because the world around us and our natural approach would, would say what about suffering? I mean, if you put your hand on a stove and you find out that it's really hot, what do you do? And your brain puts all sorts of emotional imprints down. Don't do that again. That's a really bad idea. Okay? And so it is in our lives when we have emotional or relational pain and things come and it's hard or, or financial pains. That, our natural tendency is, wait a minute, I've got to figure out, I don't want to do this again. And besides me, done anything in life that you say, hmm, don't want to do that again. Yeah. Right? But something is different when we find ourselves suffering for the Lord, when we're suffering for living for Him. Instead of saying, oh, I don't want to do that again, we say, wait a minute, I'm onto something here. We're onto something here. We're, we're living for Jesus. We're suffering like He did to accomplish the things that, that He accomplished. Now, this, uh, the words that are used here, Rejoice, okay, to the extent that you partake. Uh, when his glory is revealed, and that, that's when we go to heaven to be with him or he returns for us and we see his glory. And what's going to happen is all of a sudden there's going to be this awareness to see how this was working. To see that that suffering that you and I endured, that look what it accomplished. And we don't always know what that is. But it accompanies, and we will see it, and we will make the connection. And I, here's the way that this works. This, when it says the last phrase, that you may also be glad with exceeding joy. The, the, that first glad is this idea of joy and rejoice and be rejoicing. And then it, they translate this with exceeding joy. They put two words together to make one word there. And neither one of them are joy, about joy or rejoicing but they're connected uh, with that thought there. But what it is, one of the parts of the word, and I can't remember which, the beginning or the last part, means again and again and again, or a lot, a whole bunch. And then the other word that, that's combined there is jump. All right, so I want to take you back down memory lane here a little bit. How many of you remember, I think it was 2017, February, first Sunday, February 2017, Patriots are playing the Atlanta Falcons for the Super Bowl. Do you remember that? And we get down, there's eight minutes left in the third quarter, and we were behind. Anybody remember how far? 25 points we were behind. You know, never in the history of the Super Bowl has anybody come back like that, and then, you know, they scored again. Anyway, do you remember? First of all, how many of you watched the game? You remember watching the game? Okay, all right. So how many of you are like me, sitting there watching this, and it's like, really? Could this really happen? Wow, look, it's, it's happening. 
It's happening. And I bet Deb Langren over here, I can see her. She's already, she's back there right now. She's, oh, 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 oh. But do you remember when they came back and they scored to tie it? What did you do? You sit there and say, wow, this is quite remarkable. <laughs> no, what did you do? If you're like me, I can't remember. I mean, I, yes, I'm about to say, yeah, can you believe it? We're talking to each other. And then when, when James White scored the winning touchdown, it was just, you know, same thing again and again. Jumping for joy. For those of you who are very reserved in life, I hate to tell you that when you get to heaven, you're going to go, yes! <laughs> when you understand, when you see what God has done. That's what he's saying here, right? Do you see that? Rejoice when you find yourself suffering for Jesus. Because when his glory is revealed and we see it, we're going to rejoice with exceeding joy, a jumping for joy kind of thing. Right? And so that should change our perspective. And so here we are now. Suffering doesn't feel very joyful. I'm suffering for Jesus because someone's mad at me because I'm trying to live like a Christian. Somebody's putting me down and shunning me because I've tried to share my faith with them. Maybe I'm struggling, I'm really tight financially because God put it in my heart to give some money towards somebody, you know, or a need in his, his, his work. And we're suffering. Well, because we know where we're going and we know that this exceeding joy is coming, we can borrow some of it, okay? We can get an advance payment on that, all right? And bring it into our lives and say, hey, wait, I'm winning this game. We're winning this game and have joy because of it. So suffering for being a Christian is a reason for great joy, all right? So then the next verses, he says, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, and we can that's put down, insulted, spoke evil of, they're talking behind your back about you, talking in front of your back about you, in front of your face. He says, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Okay, God's working. That's what we're, we're seeing here very clearly. When we're suffering because we're doing what's right, we're suffering for living for the Lord, God is at work. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody. Isn't it interesting that busybody makes the same list as murderers and thieves? Because these are ultimately all heart issues. And the list is much longer than this, right? He's saying, don't be suffering because you're doing what's wrong. Suffer because you're living for Christ. And that's where he says here, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in this matter. So suffering for living like a Christian publicly identifies us with Jesus. The public, because look, in verse 14, if you are reproached for what? What's it say for the? What's it say? The name of Christ, okay? So there's a connection here. How you're living is connected somehow or rather to Christ, and people can see that and know that, and so when they're staying against you, it's for the name of Christ. You're being connected, identified with Christ. And then real interesting here in verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, okay? Don't be ashamed, glorify God, but suffers as a Christian. You know, we just take this word Christian for granted, don't we? And if somebody talks to you, they say, are you a Christian? You go, yeah, I'm a Christian, right? 
Christian is, is not a real offensive word anymore. Um, people want to know what kind of Christian you are. But Christian. Not so when Peter wrote this letter. We find that the very first time that people who believed in Jesus and received him as Savior, the very first time they're called Christians was in a, a, a Gentile city called Antioch. And they were really growing, reaching many people, and the people looked at them, and they kept hearing what? Christ. 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 And they started thinking, oh, those Christians. You know, you've, you've experienced, you've heard it yourself, it's those born-agains. That's the way this term started off, those Christians. And so Peter is saying here, if you suffer because they're saying you're a Christian, be glad. Why? They're making the connection. They're making the connection between you and Christ, between you and Jesus. The apostles model this for us back in Acts chapter 5. Uh, when they... Well, let's just read it. It says, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them. Now, there's some suffering. Anybody here, I'm not really asking you to say, because maybe anybody here been beaten recently for being a Christian? You might have got beaten for other reasons, but probably not because you're a Christian. They got beaten because they were followers of Christ. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. Continue. So they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing, here they're modeling it for us, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame, what? For his name. See, they are connected with him publicly. And, and elsewhere, it talks about when they brought them before the council and they saw their confidence and couldn't figure out, these aren't educated people, they're just poor fishermen and tradesmen, whatever. How can they be like this? And says they took note of them that they had been with Jesus. Amen. Jesus is, they're connected with the name of Jesus. In the next verse, here's what happens. Then, Daily in the temple, in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus the Christ. They kept living the same way that brought them the suffering. Now, we said again, naturally, we don't want to do that, right? Suffering, ah, wait, I don't want to do that again. But they said, no, we were faithful to the Lord, and we suffered because of it, and, and, and we, we are connected with Jesus because of that. Let's do some more of this. And it's not that you're looking for suffering, right? You can serve God faithfully and avoid the suffering for a while. Go for it. That's my favorite time. But there's a reality that the suffering is good and positive and identifies us with Jesus. And then we get to verse 17 and 18. Um, let me just say right up front, here's, here's the fact that God uses suffering to help us live like Christians more consistently. In other words, we were living you know, like Christians and we suffered because of it and then God uses that to get us to be even more like Christians, to even live more like Christians, the kind of living that brought that suffering. So let's just talk about this for a little bit. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. What is the house of God? That's us. We could also call it, the word could be translated the household of God. That is us. Who, who lives in your household? Mostly your family, right? Or someone you may have invited to live with you. 
Okay, so the household of God, this is us. And he says, the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And say, judgment? Wait a minute, we're talking about suffering and doing what's right. But Peter is saying here, look, this is so important. Living this way is so important that we need God to bring his judgment upon us as the church. And we think judgment, that's a bad thing. Well, no, let's think about it in this way. There, there are two major judgments that lie ahead in the future. One is called the judgment seat of Christ. That is for Christians, okay? And where, where the Lord stands with us and evaluates our life. We look at our life and we evaluate it, how it was lived for the purpose of him being able to reward us for those things that we did well. But a lot of what he evaluates probably will be, mm, we missed it, didn't we? Okay, well, you missed it, see? I know, Lord, you told me that a hundred times already. But the judgment seat of Christ. Then there's the great white throne judgment, which is where people who have not received Jesus will stand before God and be demonstrated from the records that they have sinned against God repeatedly, 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 and they never avail themselves of salvation in Christ. And that judgment is to condemnation. Okay? Those are two judgments. If you receive Christ as Savior, you won't be there. That's good news. But the judgment seat of Christ, it is a judgment, but it's an evaluation. But, so what Peter's saying here, we need that kind of judgment of God's people now. We need God to work in our lives and to help us to see our lives and to, to be stirred in our heart about our lives as we evaluate our lives now so that we can make changes. And this is so important that we live the way that Peter's describing here, that God... He said, we need God to bring this judgment, this kind of judgment, a judgment that will refine us, a judgment that will purify us. And this is for us as individuals, but it's also for us as a church, that we are together in this. We're not alone in that. We're together in this. And, And I need to share with you how God is doing that in my life, you know? Man, God has scrutinized my life and here's something I'm seeing is going on and I share it with you and you're encouraged by that or maybe you're challenged by that or whatever. And so we, it's all of us together. It's not just us as individual Christians but us in the church together. And you've got to understand that, that this is so important because who has God entrusted the gospel to? Who? Yeah, me and us together. Me, you, us, together. And he makes it real clear here. He says, look, he talks about, hey, if God is judging us who know him, evaluating our lives and, and so that we can change and do better, what's going to happen to those people who don't know him when they are judged? He says, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? If the righteous one is scarcely saved. Now, I don't want you to think that means, oh man, I'm barely saved. I'm hanging on by my fingernails. First of all, you're not the one hanging on. God's hanging on to you. But what he means is this, that when you look at our lives, this would say that I'm, I, I deserve condemnation. This would say I deserve condemnation. And I can't fix it. Even my best that I try to do can't ever measure up. I can't fix it. The only thing that's got me to heaven is that I put my faith in Jesus. That's it. That's the only way I got to heaven. Only way you get to heaven. So if the righteous is scarcely saved, that's the sense, only because you've been saved, believe, 
What about those who have never believed? Those who have rejected? Where are they going to be? And this is why he says, this is why judgment needs to begin at the house of God. This is why we need God to, and we need to come to him and lean into him and, and let him engage us about our lives and say, am I living in a way that identifies me with you? Am I living in a way that, that brings Christ to those who need to know him? Am I, am I willing to suffer because I have decided to give a significant amount of my money away to give you know, to someone who's taking the gospel to some place where they don't have it. Or my time. I don't have time to do all the things that I like to do anymore. This doesn't come out right. I'm changing what I like. But I can't do all those hobby things I used to do because I'm serving God. Because I'm investing in other people's lives who don't know him and who need to. Right? All of these things that if we aren't living that way, what hope do the lost have? The lost that are in your life. The lost, what hope do they have? So we need God to judge, don't we? We need God to judge our attitudes and our actions and our motives and show us, evaluate these things, not to make us feel bad, but so we can change. So we can live the way Peter's talking here. Okay, that is crucial. And so... In one sense, I say, how in the world can we choose, how can we not choose to live in a way that brings suffering then? How can we do that when you consider the cost? But at the same time, I want to say to you is I think, how in the world can I choose suffering? <laughs> I don't want to choose suffering, right? The natural me, I don't want to choose suffering. How can I do that? Well, this is what he says here in the last verse. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good. Hmm. All right. Uh, suffering leads us, last fact, suffering leads us to lean into the Lord more completely. I'm going to skip forward there a little bit, Eduardo. Suffering leads us to lean into the Lord more completely. So let, therefore let those who suffer that would be us according to the will of God because we're serving him, we're living the way he wants, bring suffering into our lives. What should we do? We should commit our souls to him. He is a faithful creator. Can God be trusted? Yes. Yes, he can. And we would probably all check that off. Oh, yes, God can be trusted. Here's a decision in your life. Oh. I got to connect that with that, don't I? God can be trusted in this circumstance of my life. I can. But here's how we commit ourselves to the Lord in this. Commit your souls by what? In doing good. In other words, this thing that has brought suffering into my life because I'm living for the Lord. I'm living the way he's led me to live and, and it's brought suffering into my life. I'm going to commit myself to the Lord by saying, okay, I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to keep living that way. And that's how I commit my soul to him. It's not some decision you make separated from your life. It's the decision you're making about how you're living your life is how you commit your soul to him. All right, three decisions. And we'll go through these quickly. Three decisions you need to make and live by. Okay, the first is this. Choose to live for Jesus, knowing it will bring suffering. Okay? We're talking about going all in. The songs today talked about going all in with the Lord. 
I'll love you with all my heart, soul, mind, I'm gonna, and my strength, and my action. I'm going to live this out with you. So, so choose it, knowing that it's going to bring suffering. But then you remember, hey, suffering, I'm going to jump up and down. <laughs> I'm going to, you know. All right, secondly, let the Lord change you for the benefit of yourself, your church, and unsaved people. Okay, that's that idea, the judgment beginning at the house. Let him change you. Cooperate with him in that. Go along with him in that. Make that decision and then live by it. And then the third one is this. Lean into the Lord more than ever, more than you ever have before by continuing to live in the way that brings suffering. Lean into him. He's there. He's faithful. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will keep all his promises to you. And I guarantee you, when you and I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, there will be plenty of things that we will regret. At that point, we will regret. So oh, I wish I had done something different. I wish I had. But any of those things where we have made a decision to live for the Lord, even if it might bring suffering, we will never regret. Doesn't it make sense to choose those things? It does. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your challenge. That Lord, help us to see things this way. Help us to see that living the way you want us to will bring suffering at different times and different ways, but that that is ultimately a good thing because it means we're living for you and, and it means that people are connecting with, with, with Christ and, and it means, Lord, that we can grow and be changed and continue to live that way more and more. Not only for us, for other believers, Lord, but so that we can reach people who are so far away from you and on their way to an eternity away from you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.